Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. I'm Millette Jones, and every weekday I chat with today's most successful coaches, and we learn their secrets to building a thriving coaching business. Are you ready to be unstoppable? Let's go. Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast, where inspiration and action come together. Today, I want to welcome Lee Carraher. She is the CEO of Double Forte PR and Digital Marketing. She's known for her practical solutions to big problems. Lee's the author of Millennials in Management, based on her experience with failing and then succeeding at retaining millennials. Her current book, The Boomerang Principle, was published in April of this year and is available on Amazon. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Melinda. It's an honor to be here. Before we jump into more about your business, I'd love to know a little bit about who you are and what you like to do when you're not at work. Sure. So I am a mom of two children, 19 and 16, and I'm a wife to my husband, Peter. And in our house, um, I'm the chief (laughs) bacon officer. He is a chief home officer, and um, he is responsible for everything in the house except for laundry, which I still really care about. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And he works half-time helping people, uh, families with special needs children, like our own family, um, figure out how to maneuver the education and the healthcare system. Mm, interesting. I sit on three nonprofit boards. It's very important to me to be able to help uh, in the community, not just in my own business. So I sit on a college board and the Grace Cathedral of San Francisco board and the board of public advocates, which is a nonprofit law firm mm. here in, in California. Um, and then other than that, um, I have three chicks groups, um, my groups of ladies that I see uh, either virtually once a week. That's my mastermind group, the awesome chicks with an X. And then my chicks on the roof group, which is my la- the ladies from my church um, who we get together once a month um, outside of church to be together. And then I have another group of uh, chicks with a CKS who we get together every other month and we've all been working together or, you know, uh, known each other for over 20 years. And so we get together. So those kinds of things are what I like to do. I love the idea of, you know, just surrounding ourselves with like-minded people. And and like you say, even if it's in different groups. I think it's, um, as I've gotten older, it's, I've had to be much more intentional about keeping the people around me that I want, (laughs) you know, as my children, when my children were younger, sort of, it was built in, um, it was built in community. When my older son went away to boarding school at his own request to uh, pursue his music, um, that built in community with uh, the school sort of just fell apart. And then I had to be much more intentional about how to have a social life that did not include my children. So that has been a sustainer for my life for over about five years now. Uh, Once I figured out that when my son, my older son went away to to boarding school, I was like, what happened to all our friends? And they, of course, didn't go anywhere. They were just very busy with the things that school created around them. So, yeah. You know, we all love to be inspired by people's journey. So the first part of our conversation is going to focus on your journey. Tell us a little bit about your business, how coaching comes into that business, and then what led you to get into it. Sure. So my business is Double Forte, which is a public relations and digital marketing firm. Um, My 
and we started 15 years ago um, when in 2002. And 15 years later, the the business has really transformed um, in terms of what we do every day. Facebook didn't exist. LinkedIn didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist when we started. Um, and now that, you know, the digital marketing influencer piece is over 50% of our business. Uh, as the, in the company, my business of what I actually do every day has evolved dramatically into being business coaching, particularly around communication with intergenerational um, uh, work teams. Uh, and that has come out of the experience of my own running a company with intergenerational work team, which uh, was a ch- much larger challenge than I ever imagined it to be. Uh, and then sort of the communication implications of that, uh, which are natural for the business Double Forte, which is a communications firm, but in the leadership coaching that I do uh, through through that lens. Um, how did I get to that point? Uh, my whole career has been in public relations and communications, Corpcom. I have a degree in medieval history from Carleton College in Minnesota, which you know is a very practical degree, <laughs> uh, which I got many, many years ago. <laughs> And um, it was practical in the fact that I learned everything I know uh, needed to know about how to um, figure out a problem, I solve a problem, articulate a articulate a point of view, and defend a point of view. Um, and that's really what we do in public relations and communications. I started my career in on the East Coast in agencies, and then moved to the West Coast when um, I realized I found out that I was sun sensitive and I was getting. Uh, down in the dumps a lot in the winter. And my doctor said, you know what you should do? You should go into a tanning booth every day, Lee. And I was like, I'm of Irish descent. I'll be like a potato chip in a week. <laughs> that was before sunlight, you know, those those, pre- those uh, sun ray lights right. that they have today. <clears throat> so I moved to California so I would be where the sun is instead of becoming a potato chip to another agency. And California, uh, moved first time I moved to L.A., didn't know a soul and that was a, a huge growth opportunity for me. And that's where I had my first business coach was in Los Angeles at this company that I went to work for, which was a transformative experience for me. Um, and it's highly influenced what, how I run my own company now. Um, I moved to San Francisco um, to uh, work for Sega of America, the video game company, when that was a billion and a half dollar company in this country. Mm-hmm. And that was another transformative experience uh, being uh, one of the highest ranking women in the company and working in a Japanese company um, in a an iconic American brand, Sega. Uh, most people my age know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my husband then, and uh, then we got married, and that uh, sort of another transformational moment um, started uh, with another company, uh, an agency. Um, and then 9-11 happened, and 9-11 uh, really sp- really sparked me to leave a job that I was very successful in, but very unhappy in. And um, sort of, uh, I exercised my contracts on on September 13th, 2001, because it was just clear to me that I could have been on that plane coming from New York to San Francisco, because I was traveling a lot then. Mm. Um, and I really thought at that moment, I was going to take a year, my goal was to take a year off. Um, and really figure out what I wanted to do with the next part of my career. I had two young children and all this kind of stuff. Well, I drove my husband crazy. Uh, <laughs> and I had a lot of glue guns and I was doing flower arranging, not very well. And I was color coding closets. And even though I was very uh, busy, my we had figured out at that time that my younger son has special needs and is developmentally challenged. 
I spent a lot of time on that every day. But for someone who had been working 80 hours a week, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands. Mm. And, oh, my goodness. So one day my husband just said to me, you know, if you don't go back to work, we're not going to make it. You got to get out of the house. <laughs> um, and I was pursuing a different uh, trajectory in my career when my mother was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in April of 2002. And that really compelled me to start my own company so that I could uh, be much more in control of where I could be and how I would work. Um, so I started Double Forte with a partner in 2002 um, to create an agency that really catered to what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And here we are 15 years later. And while the business has transformed dramatically because of what's happened in communication, the rules that we started with are still the rules we have today. So that's my story in a nutshell, very long nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting that you were able to to be in a place in your life where you were able to say, I'm going to take a year off and and just figure out what it is that I really want to do. And also be able to be in a in a place where you were able to say this may be really good, but this isn't working for me and I want to find something, find something new. So. When you yeah. started, um, when you got started with your own business, you know, I know that even having a really successful career leading up to making that jump to entrepreneurship, it maybe it gives some people advantages, but there's still a lot of ups and downs. Oh, so my goodness. <laughs> can you tell us about maybe a low point or just something that was a real disappointment when you were first getting started as an entrepreneur? Sure. You know, when, um, when we were first starting, it was 2002 in San Francisco, which was, you know, the bottom of the market here. Um, and what we did, you know, it was, um, like you said, it was very fortuitous that I was able, you know, it was, it was because I'd worked so hard that I was able to take that year off, right, and have the runway in terms of savings that would allow me not to work. Um, and so we did take the luxury of that time, that gift of, or I guess it wasn't a gift, but it was sort of the the benefit of all the work that I had done before to say, how do we want to work? And I have to say in the beginning of the company, there weren't that many disappointments because of how we, you know, we had four rules. One rule is somebody, one, we were not, I'm not good about myself. I need to be around people. So I could have done a lot of independent consulting. That is not where I'm strong. Um, and, um, it was very simple to find people who wanted to work with us because no one had jobs here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> um, but we're like, you know, one of the rules was somebody other than Lee has to be interested in the business we're going to do because I'm interested in everything and I'm not a good manager. I'm not a good account runner. So number one, number two, we have to be good. You have to be good fit for that client. You have to be good experience, good, um, you know, good credentials, good services, the right stuff. But most importantly in that is once you tick all those things off is you have to be a good chemistry fit. And because you can be a great client and a great agency or a great coach and just suck together. (laughs) Sure. You know, if it's not a great chemistry fit and your, your values aren't aligned. Number three, you have to pay us. We like to eat. And number four, no jerks, right? And uh, number one and number four are, are, um, are luxurious rules in business because they can be business limiting, but they are definitely life enhancing. Um, and so for us, we decided we were going to have not just one bottom line, which was how much profit we were making. And that's where we were in our previous work. But, you know, 
are we living the lives we want to live? So do we, can we be with who we want to be with? And for me, that was for the first four years of my company, actually going to Wisconsin half the time. My mother didn't live for the four months that they predicted. They, she lived for four years, which was awesome. Huge gift of time. But I spent half my time in Wisconsin and half my time in, in um, San Francisco. Um, so in the first four years, there weren't that many disappointments in the business because we, we were very intentional about the business. The biggest disappointment was at the end of the first four years when my business partner, Dan, said he didn't want to do this anymore. And we really didn't want to get out of the, t- in the total business. And this was right when my mother was dying. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my, my partner's going to leave me. I'm going to have to buy him out. And my mother's dying. And, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Right. Sure. But that, um, those are disappointments. But you still have a business to run. You know, you still have, you still have a purpose and the purpose didn't change. You know, the purpose every day was, you know, I believe I'm here on this planet to help great people do great things. Um, I'm well suited to this industry, which is, is in a client service business, helping great clients achieve their goals and do good things in their categories. So I was able to align all those things together. The biggest disappointments were things that were out of my control my mother's death and my business partner's own decide, you know, he had his own goals for his own life. <laughs> so what I expected um, didn't happen, but um, it, it doesn't mean that it was bad. Right, right. It sounds like you were able to really hit the ground running almost like, you know, that there were some some disappointments, but mm-hmm. it seemed like seems like you had a pretty, I don't want to say easy, but it was just a pretty consistent trajectory of getting to that success. Can you tell us about if there was maybe a tipping point or just a point when you felt like you were starting to get some momentum behind you? You know, so I had been in business for a long time and I'd started another company in PR for a larger, a larger entity before I'd done this. And what we did at the beginning of the, uh, before we even went and told people what we were doing, starting a company, we wrote everybody's name down that we had ever worked with. And my business partner and I had worked together in two companies before this one. So we wrote, wrote the list. Who would we work with again, no matter what they were doing? They're awesome people. We could trust them. They have big visions. You know, um, they're a joy to work with. They're involved with good things. We wrote the list of people we would never work with again. You couldn't pay us enough to work with them again because they weren't trustworthy or they were inefficient or they uh, were unprofessional or they were drama kings or queens, and it was just not going to let us get home at six o'clock by Friday, which was our goal. And then we wrote the list of people we would work again in with in the um, in the best of service, you know, in the right circumstances. So someone who shouldn't be in a startup, but worked well if they were surrounded by good people. Um, and we focused all of our attention on that first list. Uh, it was 12 people long. And um, it was uh, and we just went one by one and we went and talked to them all about what we wanted to do, what our value proposition was, and would they help us? And again, this is 2002 when the market was, you know, was just really depressed here in San Francisco. And um, the inflection point, I guess, was we got our first one and then I got the second one off this list. I mean, just off the list, right? Um, the inflection point for us, it was really came in the end of the second year when we were moving beyond the list to people who were, um, suggested by two people away from the list. So, um, instead of Bernie, it was Bernie's friends, Bob friend, Tom, who came to us. And so when we had built enough, um, we had 
driven our, when we were getting recommended two, two points away from our list of 12, that's when things really started to pop for us. And we had to be actually more judicious in what we took and what we didn't take. Um, another inflection point really came in 2000 and at the end of 2008, when uh, the market crashed, you know, my business been through, you know, a few downturns, right? <laughs> like the rest of us was when we had a business model. And at the end of 2008, when the, then the market crashed, you know, I think it's very important that you look at your business model going into a disruption like that, any disruption, small or big, that, that rocks your foundation. Um, and cause the business model that went into that situation is probably not the business model that will come out successfully of that, uh, situation. And we had to adjust our business model, uh, dramatically, um, which ended up with us, um, uh, offering more services and hiring much younger people. We had started only hiring people with 10 years of experience. And we realized coming out of 2008 and into 2009 that we had to change our business model and that would include hiring people right out of college, which did not seem like a big deal until we did it. And we realized that this generation, the millennial generation is so different than the Gen X and Gen and boomer generation. And that was another inflection of disappointment where I had not thought two seconds about hiring younger people because I'd been known for hiring younger people and bringing them along. And then I had abject failure, a hundred percent failure um, in hiring six people who in that generation who all were gone within uh, six weeks, uh, eight weeks of each other. And I never had a hundred percent failure in, in recruiting and retaining ever in my career before. And that was, that caused me to look inside and go, one person could have been their problem, but six people had to be our problem. And so that really changed uh, everything in our business again. Where did you go from there? I mean, when you when you get to a point of that many people that you bring in and then immediately they're they're gone again. Like you said, that kind of makes you look at yourself and you're like, what did I do? <laughs> well, I, yeah, for us, it was very introspective. And particularly for me, I was a body blow, frankly, um, to uh, given my past. And um, I started... Again, one person could be a bad hire, but six people could not be a bad hire. You know, six people had to be us. And we start, I started looking at it and I started, and I interviewed lots of people. I started researching and I didn't know what a millennial was. I mean, I you started researching like all these bad things about millennials. I mean, they're terrible. Oh my God. Why would you want to be around them? Blah, blah, blah. And, um, I decided to ignore everything negative that I was reading. Um, and at that time, if you Googled it, you, you could find like a million and a half negative articles about working with millennials. Today, you'd find over 5 million negative articles about working with millennials. And I decided that, um, you know, it's statistically impossible for an entire generation to be entitled, lazy, and, um, you know, uh, entitled, lazy, and rude. Right. It's not possible, right? And um, it had to be the lens that we were looking at it through. So I um, did a lot of research. I talked to lots of people. And then my company did some trial and error on trying to figure out what would work. And we fi- we sort of cracked our own code in making it work, um, which led to us keeping millennials, you know, two and three and four times longer than most agencies in San Francisco. Um, so that's how we measure success in my company. How long do we keep people? And then how long do we keep clients? And those numbers, after we cracked this code, those numbers both almost doubled. Um, and that really led me to write my first book, Millennials in Management, because 
my coach, the work I was doing with my clients transformed around this topic of working with intergenerational teams and communication around generation and motivation from leadership around motiv- uh, intergenerational teams. And someone just said, you, will you please just write this book because I can't find a book about, you know, and I'm like, well, I guess so. <laughs> you know, I wrote the book. Um, and because, you know, we learned things very painfully, a lot of trial and error, a lot of research, a lot of other, uh, you know, bringing th- other experts um, insight into the actual practice, because, you know, it's one thing to read, it's mm-hmm. another thing to apply. And um, the goal of the first book was to help people apply, you know, actually, here's what you actually do, um, not just theory, but actually do this, do that kind of stuff. And not just about... Um, sometimes I think, well, actually, I always think this, the problem with business books is that everybody doesn't mm-hmm. read the same thing. And, um, sometimes, you know, leadership reads a book and they go off and they come back with, you know, a whole new language that the rest of the people are going, what the heck are they talking about? So my book is, re- is, but both of my books are meant to be read by teams so that together teams can decide how they're going to go forward. Oh, that's interesting. I- I don't know. I guess I never thought of it that way, but I, but that's really true that if someone is, is in a company, they might read one thing, but no one else will. So they, tr- they try to bring right. that, that idea back and implement it. And, and it's just, you know, bumping up against walls. But if everybody takes in that same information, it's probably a lot easier. Yeah. And what actually is coming out of that, um, sort of insight, we created a book club at my company and we all read the same book. Um, either by the quarter or every other month, depending on the book. Um, we all read the same book and then we have, um, we have book club around it <laughs> and, uh, we break the group. It's a small company. So we break the group into, you know, three or four groups for book club. And then we all decide together what we're going to, you know, what's the nugget we're going to take out of that and apply to our work so that everyone at least has the same vocabulary because sometimes, you know, the vocabulary, particularly intergenerational between generations, vocabulary can mean something very, very different um, in interpretation, unless you all have the same definition uh, grounded in the same knowledge. Yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting how just through being in business that trajectory can change or just the, the path that we're on can change a little, you know, you started hiring people and then they left and then that led you to write a book. And then that led you to, to look at this whole process of how do we integrate information into the teams? And it's like one thing led to another with all of that. What would you say has been like maybe a favorite achievement of yours so far in your business? The thing I'm most proud of, in my business is that the business matters to the people who have left here. So our alumni are still attached to us and still consider their time with us, however long or short to be seminal in their careers. And that is the largest, you know, that's my biggest achievement. I think um, that what we're doing here transcends sort of the time and is important to people's careers uh, and their own trajectories. Before we move on to the part of the podcast that focuses on real action steps that people can take if they're wanting to grow a business, a coaching business, I'd like to know just a little bit about the future. What are you most excited about creating next for your business? So today, Lee Carraher's business is really two things. One is the Double Forte company, which I'm very excited about uh, we're 
we are, you know, really moving forward and we're in, in the beginning of the year three of a three-year tra- uh, transformation plan that um, is really going to set us up for the future in terms of where communication is going, what are the services people need to do, and how do you train people so that they're, you know, constantly relevant, which is very challenging in such a moving uh, world. And again, when we started the company, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, none of those things existed. And um, probably they, like I said, they take about 50 to 60% of our business today. And how you create a company that is constantly learning is different than how you create a company that is serving only. So um, sort of that epiphany uh, and the plan we put together for that, um, we're, we're on the downside of the hill of that, <laughs> which feels nice. <laughs> and, um, you know, I feel very confident by this time next year when we will have been through the three years that we will be in a much much more sustainable, much more momentum driven uh, status than we were when we started this plan uh, two and a, two years ago. Um, on the other side of the business, uh, which is the lead care her part of the business and my own, my books and the speaking and the workshops that I do and the coaching that I do. What I'm really excited about is a couple of things. One is, um, you know, I, I just don't think work has to suck. And I'm, I, Every time I deliver that message and it's received and people find a way to, to you know, have it, it just doesn't have to be that hard. Uh, even when you're high achieving, it doesn't have to be that hard. Um, I'm really excited that that's getting traction in with the people that I'm working with, either through my keynotes or my workshops or in individual coaching. So that's really exciting. And I think the long term of that is sort of, um, I imagine... Uh, you know, my long-term plan is that I will uh, ultimately transition more of my time to that part of the what I do versus running this company. And there's a plan for that on both sides. So I'm, I'm excited about both things. You know, one thing that most coaches seem to have in common is everybody is looking for ways to grow their business. And then there's a lot of different ways to earn a living as a coach as well, online and offline. So how are you generating revenue in your business today? So the business on the coaching side of the business, you know, definitely um, having written a book that was published by, uh, you know, a traditional publisher um, really helped me transition from just from being the CEO of a public, you know, public relations firm to being a, you know, being that plus a respected expert mm-hmm. on a topic that uh, people need coaching on, right? So for me to add that in to the mix um, and bring the practical expertise of having been coached and then uh, the communication coaching, because I'm not a credentialed uh, executive coach, mm-hmm. but I am a well uh, experienced communication coach and communication is leadership. So I don't pretend to be something I'm not, but, um, the running a company, having been coached and then being communications coach, which is my business. Um, I think there are, there are lots of things to do on that. One is don't pretend to be someone you're not right. Number one, number two is where you get, where do you get your, um, authority from? Where do you get your authority from? And to, uh, to be an authority uh, comes from authentic experience, training, and um, frankly, 
um, testimonial, people who will vouch for you to be experienced in what you say you're experienced in. Um, and that's the, the least, you know, when you, when you do it that way, that is the path of least resistance in terms of creating uh, mm-hmm. your own personal brand around what your expertise is. And, and I would say um, that's the first thing we should be thinking about as individual coaches or groups of coaches is what is our brand? What do we stand for? What will people get from working with us? What is the experience they will, they will have? The whole user experience, what will that feel like? Um, and then, you know, how do I, as a person, represent that brand? So feeling those things out before putting your shingle up or before even thinking about what your next marketing thing will be doing is super, super important. So you can make your marketing easier uh, than it is harder. Mm-hmm. I have the advantage of having been in a PR firm, um, so I know how to do it, right? And a lot of coaches have not been in marketing, Um uh, and they sort of struggle with this. But the, the I think the, the first thing is, you know, what does your brand stand for? Who do you, who are you? What do you stand for? And what are the values you bring to play? And what will people, uh, what do people benefit from working with you over time? Um, and then in terms of, so that's number one. And then in terms of the marketing piece, like how do you build authority piece? Like what do you need? Well, for me, it, the quickest way for me to do that was to, to write the book. Um, and now the second book that have, are sort of calling cards. And we can all write a book. It doesn't have to be published by somebody else. Uh, but having something uh, tangible that other people can pass along that says that you spent time doing something thoughtful is super, super important. So for yourself, you have this podcast, which is a calling card as well, right? So what are you doing to advance the cause? What are you doing to put your own uh, values into the into the ecos ecosystem. So it could be a podcast, could be a book, could be a course, could be a webinar. Uh, what are you going to do so that you have something that is you, right? The pieces around, and then the next most important thing, what kind of clients do you want? Like not every client's going to be good for you, but really putting thought around who is your ideal client? Who is your ideal person you should be coaching? Um, and then really creating, we call them in marketing, we call them personas. In online marketing, they call them avatars. But who exactly is that person? His name is Joe. He's 40. He works in, you know, whatever it is, right? He has two children. He's spending way too much time at work. He wishes he wasn't so angry all the time. Whatever it is, right? <laughs> but really create those you know, the two or three different personas or avatars of the people you are best suited to work with. Because we don't have to chase everybody to have a great business. But when you really niche down and figure out who is your best client, that makes marketing so much easier. So for instance, my second coach, uh, Lori Ogden Moore, who I quote liberally in my books, you know, she built her coaching business working only with agency leadership, you know, either advertising agency, marketing agency, or PR firms. Basically her business is that. Because she knows the agency world so well, she came out of an agency and then she got uh, her credentials on that and she focuses on agency people. Well, that means that, you know, a lot of people aren't, I mean, she works with people who aren't agency heads, but her marketing is much easier when she says, Lee, uh, you know, you worked with me for six months. You were happy with your experience. Do you know anybody in the agency world who you think would benefit from that? 
And I can say, yeah, I do. Well, let me send you along, right? So when you, when you really focus on who are those two or three different kinds of people who are your best clients, other people will come along with them. But if you don't focus on a certain type, then you're just boiling, trying to boil the ocean by yourself with lots and lots of competition. Uh, you know, and there's lots of coaches, right? There's so many people being coached. There's so many people getting certified today. It's one of the largest, it's the fastest, one of the fastest growing sectors, uh, for solopreneuring. Um, so finding your niche is super, super important. Doesn't mean you can't change it over time, but focus smaller versus larger really helps you build success. Um, and then go where those people are. Where are those people? You know, what, what LinkedIn groups are they in? What are they reading? What mm -hmm. uh, conferences are they going to? Um, where do they hang out? <laughs> right. And go be where they are. Right. So if you are, um, if you have, if, if your perfect, uh, client is for, like, for instance, Lori's clients, agency heads, well, there is the PR world, there's the marketing world, and there's the advertising world. And they all have associations with them. <laughs> so what did Lori do? You know, Lori found ways for her to contribute to those associations' newsletters. And she went to conferences where she gave speeches and, and talked about the power, showed people how um, coaching at the highest level could transform businesses. And she was very, very focused. So the more focused we can be, uh, the better off we're going to be in terms of our marketing and our business and driving our business growth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to take a step back and just ask kind of a clarifying question on something that I personally have had a little bit of confusion around when we're talking about coming up with that ideal client. What is the purpose of then taking that information and creating a persona. What is, what's the purpose of that persona as far as getting down into, you know, I mean, I understand some of it. If they're male, maybe around the age group, but when we get down into, they have 2.5 kids and a dog and they, where do all those little details right. and that, and that persona play into it? Yeah. So let me explain that. So in the, you know, so what I do in my other side of my business, the double forte side, you know, the persona is super important. And, and this is why, because there are so many things you can do your time. You'll be, you know, there are so many things you can do to spread your word and to get out there and to network. But, uh, if you don't have a persona that says Joe, Alice, George, right. <laughs> Three and, and everything you do, everything you do to market yourself, you should say, if those are your three personas, Joe, Alice, and George, is Joe going to be there? Would Alice see this? Would George be influenced by this? Because when you get to the details around Joe, is he going to be at a soccer game? Yeah, he'd probably be at a soccer game. Saturday morning is not going to be good for him because you got three kids and they're probably playing soccer or baseball. So Saturday morning, don't offer things on Saturday morning. Joe can't come. Right. Or Alice. Uh, Alice is the primary breadwinner in her house and her husband's at home. Saturday morning, again, is not going to be a great time to do something for Alice because this is the time she has to spend with her children. Sunday, you know, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon after church or, you know, or maybe not church, atheist, not whatever, right, whatever it is. But when you get that detailed, what you can say is, where should I put my effort? Are they on Facebook or not? Are they in LinkedIn? They better, they're all on LinkedIn, right? Are they on LinkedIn or not? Are they on Instagram or not? What else are they reading? Are they reading HBR or are they reading HR today? 
you know, when you get that specific um, and then everything you do in marketing or in networking, you put through those filters. Is Joe or Alice or George going to see this? It lets you say no to a lot of distracting things because it can be very, I need a Snapchat channel. No, you don't. <laughs> I need to be on Instagram. Yes, I do. If I'm going to try to reach women, um, I want to be on Pinterest. Well, unless you have a blog or unless you have a podcast, you're turning into blogs. Probably not, you know, but because who is going to see that? Right. So getting really specific in the persona helps you target your activity because we can't do everything. None of us. PepsiCo, Coca-Cola can't do everything they want to do. So, um, you know, individuals can't do everything they'd want to do either. So networking, are those people going to be there? Right. No, there are no, there are, no, this is for 22 year olds. 22 year olds can't afford a coach. Don't go there. You know, you know, so it helps you, it helps you decide where to focus. Um, and if you ask the question, is Joe going to see this? Is Joe going to be there? Can Joe attend this? And if the answer is no, 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 don't do that. Right. And that's, that is the purpose of being very specific in your persona. And what I can do, actually, I can send you some uh, examples of that and you can put it into your show notes if you like. Yeah, that would be great. Absolutely. Sure. So you talked a lot about, you know, at the beginning, you talked about creating that list and then you felt like the momentum kind of kicked in when you got two people out, you know, from that list. And then you said something again about getting referrals. One thing that a lot of coaches have trouble with is bringing those new clients in. Um, what would you say is your favorite strategy for bringing in brand new people? My best strategy is to ask for the referral. So, so those 12 people that I told you about, what I focused on there is, okay, here's 12 people I would work with ever, ever again. No matter what they did, I would work with them again. Of course, they were not all ready to hire me at that point. But all of those people in 15 years, all of those people have been clients of Double Forte. Every single one of them. Uh, some of them took longer to get here or not. The next thing, um, you know, create, you have to do is, um, I went and told those people what I was doing. And then I said, you know, I trust you. I would work with you no matter what. And if you have people that you think would benefit from my work, um, you know, that you feel comfortable sending to me and you know that I will not, it would be so embarrassing for me not to kick it out of the park for them because it's you, <laughs> you know, so you, you the transfer mm -hmm. of, of the responsibility, you know, uh, I would appreciate any introduction that you can make for me, right? So at making the ask and doing it in person, not just doing an email, you know, kind of thing. So that's the, when you know who your perfect client is, then you can go find them and ask for their referrals because most of our perfect clients know other perfect clients, even if we don't, right? Right, yeah. So um, so that's it. And then I think the other piece is, you know, you, you do have to have some sort of marketing, content marketing that other people can point to, like make it easy for them, you know? Let it be, if you have a blog, if you just, even if you blog once a month, um, when you send out your newsletter, uh, well, I'll talk about that in a second. Or if you have an, a Pinterest page that, ha or a Instagram feed that's inspirational quotes, or if you have a podcast or whatever, right? Um, you should, everybody should have an email list and it can start with two people on it and you want to grow it over time. Um, but you should be emailing your network at least once a month. 
And in, in each of those emails on the bottom, you ask for people's help. You know, you can't be shy about asking for the referral. Um, because you will help them out with something that they need just as much as they're going to help you out. Um, sure. So it is definitely a disciplined process of who do you want to work with? Where are they? Keeping, keeping relevant with them by doing an email even just once a month is good, you know. Um, and then with some sort of content that is easy to share. So if it's an email newsletter, you know, forward this to somebody you think would benefit from this. Or if it's an Instagram feed with, uh, with, with quotes or a Twitter feed with inspirational quotes, whatever it is, you know, uh, choose what is easiest for you so that someone can look and see what you do. Uh, make it easy for yourself. And your website doesn't have to have lots of bells and whistles, but it has to be professional. Um, pointing people to a website uh, all the time so people can see who you are mm-hmm. um, is super, super important. Knowing what you know now about building up a successful business, what would you say would be one action step or the first thing somebody should do if they're really serious about growing their business? Or maybe even what do you wish you had done first when you were getting started? Um, when I was starting my personal leaker coaching, speaking mm-hmm. workshop business, I wish I had um, not suffered from imposter syndrome. <laughs> and uh, I wish that I, because what I know is that every time I do something, people benefit from it. And I know this because they tell me. And um, instead of, oh, will they really think it's valuable or not? Mm-hmm. I think we, we all suffer from that in some way, shape or form. You know, your generosity and what you're doing for, you know, coaches are by definition generous. They are, we are here to help people achieve their goals. It is a high calling. And not everybody will benefit from you because not everybody's perfect for you, but the people you are perfect for will benefit from you. And um, just being confident in that. I wish I was more confident in the fact that I had uh, something of value to bring to the world that was different from how I started my career, you know? Yeah. Right. That's great advice. I think that I don't think that I have spoken to, to anyone that hasn't had that question go through their head before. Um, And I think what we find with CEOs too, we find with CEOs, there's a lot of that, you know, they're, they're lonely. uh Um, They're lonely because they can't, you know, if you're doing it right, you're not complaining. And your people question themselves all the time. I, I run a 15 year old company that was 35 people in three locations. Like, you know, I'm, I'm driven by a set of uh, values that help me decide things, but do I question myself? Absolutely. Um, but you have to, you know, you have to have a, a method to solve that fast. Otherwise, uh, what you, you know, it's, it's just, it will eat you up. <laughs> Right, right. Well, I think that's that's something that's really great for people to just keep in mind, people that are just starting out or maybe people that are struggling is even people that are successful, even people that have been successful for years still have that little voice that questions things. And you just have to you have to push past it. You have to keep going if you want to build or grow a business. There are a lot of coaches and there's a lot of coaching credentialing courses and all that kind of stuff for a reason. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs a coach. There is not one person on this planet that couldn't benefit from a coach. Right, right. 
So there's lots of opportunity. It's a question of focusing in so that you're not trying to boil the ocean. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I've never heard that term before, but it's a great, it's a great visual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good market. We use it a lot in marketing. Right, so. right. Oh my gosh. Lee, this has been so good. I have learned so much from this conversation. And now we're going to finish up with our final five rapid fire questions. I'm ready. All right. So what is one habit or skill that's helped you become unstoppable? Being uh, self-deprecating. what is one quality that you think every successful coach needs to develop thick skin good one recommend one book that's had a big impact either on your business or on your life other than my own which have obviously had a big impact on my life absolutely um, i think primal leadership give us one online resource that you think coaches would love and that you couldn't do business without hbr And finally, how can the listeners best connect with you? What social platforms are you on and what's your website? So my website is www.leecarreher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R. You can find me on Twitter at at Lee Carreher or on Instagram at Lee.Carreher or on Facebook at Lee Carreher. (laughs) I'm Lee Carreher everywhere. So you can find me in all those places. Perfect. All right. Well, I'll be sure to get all of those links on the show notes page. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you again so much, Lee, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor to be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Unstoppable Coach podcast. Be sure to head over to the website at unstoppablecoach.co where you can grab the show notes and check out all the resources and the links to the guest website and social sites. And be sure you join us every weekday when I interview another successful coach and we learn their secrets to building an unstoppable coaching business.